0: God, our Father, Lord, we praise you this day and we glorify you, for indeed you are God. Oh Lord, you are so wonderful and awesome and beyond even our highest thoughts. And yet, Lord, we pause to bow our heads in reverence and to, with pure hearts, consider you, For you are pure. God, you are holy. and You are set apart from the entire creation. Indeed, there is none like you, Lord. And we rejoice in the fact that you are God. That, Lord, you have made everything for a specific purpose. And you have made the creation in the world with a very specific purpose. Purpose in mind, and we are grateful that you have called us out of darkness and into the glorious kingdom of your Son Jesus, and given us eyes to see and ears to hear by your Spirit. And we are grateful, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins, and the washing and the cleansing of our consciences by the great things that our Lord Jesus has done. Oh, Lord, we treasure Him, and we treasure His precious blood. And we ask that you would strengthen our faith so that, Lord, even in this adulterous and perverse generation that we live in and that we have been saved out of, that we would live as shining lights and holy people, holy saints unto you, God. May our lives be a reflection of your purity to a lost and dying world around us. And, Lord, may we also... Uh, glorify you by the way that we live so that people would see us and recognize some bit of character in us that has come from you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are to us. We honor you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, back in our study of 1 Thessalonians. Last week we made it through chapter 4, verse 6. And uh, I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. This is where we spent the whole of last week discussing First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 and following. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. Amen. And so there we were discussing the whole matter of sanctification And last week, more specifically in regard to abstaining from sexual immorality and the sin of sexual immorality and, uh, if you will, the sins of lustful passion that not only characterized the Greco-Roman world of the Thessalonians but also characterized our modern American culture. And we kind of talked to some degree about how these things are so relevant to us being that our culture is quickly declining into one that is as debauched as the Greco-Roman world of the Thessalonians. Amen? Amen? Amen. And so we talked about that at some length, and um, as eagerly as I'm longing to move into the the verses following these texts we're studying this morning, I'm going to camp out here some more. And I, I had promised last week, that I would talk more uh, about the idea of pornography and um, because I think it's more perfectly addressed in verses 7 and 8, which is where we're starting this morning, than it is in verses uh, 3 through 6. And uh, I, I'm going to try to shed a little bit more light on some things that I said last week and, um, and then maybe even get you thinking about some things you may not have thought about in the past in regard to the idea of pornography and its prevalence and influence on the Christian life in modern America. Um, Maybe even surprise you uh, about some some things that I'm going to say about that. So pay attention. Um, I I rarely talk on this topic. I'm not normally uh, going through a section of scripture that addresses this. But I am today, and I was last week. And so I'm going to make sure that we uh, expose the text well and uh, gain a good understanding of what the Bible says about this and how it affects us in our daily life. Amen? Mm -hmm. After all, the goal of hearing God's Word is doing it. Mm -hmm. Amen? Mm -hmm. Okay, with that being said then, we know for a fact that we Christians are to abstain from sexual immorality. Why? Because it's God's will that we be sanctified, <laughs> that we be pure, that we be holy, that we be set apart from sin, and that we don't defraud another person by committing an act of sexual immorality. Amen? Much less sin against our own body, and much worse, sin against God. Amen? So... <clears throat> uh Last week, as we were going through verses 3 through 6, we addressed the issue of the Lord being the avenger in all these things, and that there are consequences for choices concerning sexual immorality. But not only that, but that the wrath of God is coming upon the world for things just like this. And I had reminded you that one of the reasons why God was so upset with the Canaanites was because of their idolatrous worship, the thing that almost always characterizes idolatry is sexual immorality. And that the Canaanites were involved in all forms of hideous sexual immorality. And uh, by the time that the Israelites arrived on the east side of the Jordan, the sin of the Canaanites was full And it was time for God to vomit them out of the land, as is the voice of Scripture, how it's spoken of. And if you will, one of the reasons why God wanted everything in the Canaanite cities to be offered as a burnt offering before him. And he did not want any trace left of their wicked culture uh, with the Israelites who were to be his holy people. And so, if you will... He commanded that everything be gathered up in a heap in the city after it was destroyed and burned. The idea of that was called being devoted to the Lord, that all of those wicked leftovers from the battle were to be devoted to the Lord, devoted to the Lord in destruction, to be entirely consumed in fire. Um, If you will, that's God's righteous and good response to sin and to wickedness. It ought not to exist in his world. Amen? Okay, so, then moving on then, we come to uh, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, which state, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. He who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And so, verse 7, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but sanctification. Think about the thought here. The thought here is that God called us, which inherent in that idea is that he did so with a purpose. Right? And, of course, he is very specifically saying he has not called us for the purpose of impurity. Therefore, there is a a real purpose that he has called us to, right? The contrast here would be purity. God hasn't called us to impurity. He's called us to what? To purity. Or in this text, the contrast is sanctification. He's called (laughs) us to sanctification. And so, as you think about that, this is specifically in the context of Paul talking about sexual immorality which he has already told them to abstain from. But not only that, but think about how the idea or the word impurity applies, if you will, to all of the Greco-Roman culture. Um, The reason why they were so involved in sexual immorality is because they were impure people with impure motives and impure thoughts. Are you with me? So... um, I kind of wonder if the material I'm going to be covering is um, uh, acceptable for young children to hear. So um, we need to deal with that issue, please. Is there something we can do about that, Luann? That just took care of it. Thank you. I really am going to be saying some things that are not, not, not good for kids to hear. Are there any other kids present? Okay. Thanks. So, um, he writes, God has called not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Here, then, is the fundamental truth which governs our Christian lives, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. And so, even though in this context he's talking specifically about sexual immorality, the idea is that impurity is an even more broad term which encompasses more than just sexual immorality. Certainly, it would encompass sexually impure thoughts and motives. Would you agree? Whereas sexual immorality speaks specifically about the physical sin. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. Now, I kind of touched on this last week. Somebody asked the question about the Greek word porneia, and if that includes the modern sin of pornography. And I said, absolutely not. And maybe some were confused by my statement or whatever, and I want to clarify this morning what I mean by that, okay? In the English, we have equivalent words for this discussion. And uh, if you will... The Greek word, I've written them here, the Greek word porneia has an equivalent in the English, fornication, okay? The word fornication in the English is voluntary sexual intercourse between two unmarried persons or two persons not married to each other, okay? That's what fornication is, and that's what porneia is. And that is why it is not pornography. Are you with me? Pornography is a different kind of a sin. Okay? Now, it's not, a, it's not a word that's listed in the Bible, per se. Okay? Nevertheless, the things that the English word pornography implies are sinful things. Okay? So the English word pornography is obscene writings, drawings, or photographs, or the like. Are you with me? Look it up. I got that out of the dictionary this morning. <laughs> so, <clears throat> the, the, the idea is, is that the actual act of sexual immorality is not pornography. Although pornography is a sexually immoral uh, concept or idea, okay? the sin that's committed is something different. The sin that's committed is something different. It is something that is, if you will, obscene writings, drawings, photographs, or the like. So, for example, uh, let me give you an example. An example of a pornographic writing would be a story. Actually, the origin of the word comes from writings about harlots in more ancient times. so, if you will, a storyline that, epi- that depicted uh, immoral, sexually obscene or immoral thoughts or ideas in the storyline. Are you with me? That is a pornographic writing. Okay? Then you have pornographic drawings. Well, obviously, before they had photographs, right, they could certainly draw pornographic uh, drawings, right? And, of course, we're all familiar with porn- pornographic photographs, because when we hear the word pornography, that's all we think about. You see, we've kind of easily dismissed that whole idea about uh, writings or the like. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of boxed it into this one category of obscene photographs. Well, let me tell you, pornography is something much more than obscene photographs. Okay, and I'm going to talk to you about that today. But <clears throat> what I'm saying here is that when Paul uses the term impurity, he, if you will, he broadens the discussion to something more than just the physical act of sexual immorality. The word he uses in, in this context is porneia, which means fornication, okay? But, um, which, which actually is a broad term that covers all sexually immoral acts, even adultery. Even adultery is uh, a, a form of fornication. Are you with me? Why? Because the two people, one is married, the other is not. They're not married to each other, okay? So, <clears throat> the idea, though, of impurity is a little bit broader than than just uh, uh, the act itself, which I think very clearly includes the heart motivations, which are the corruption of the Greco-Roman culture. What are they? Well, they're lustful passion, which are also sins that he points out. They... They do what they do because they live in lustful passion in their hearts. Are you with me? That is something much more like pornography. Lustful passion is something much more like pornography or, if you will, the result of what pornographic writings, drawings, or photographs do. They they entice us to impure thoughts and impure motives. Are you with me? Okay, so keep that in your back of your mind as we go through this. We are not to violate God's holiness or his purity by living in a way that denies his essential nature, but rather in a way that exalts and glorifies his nature. But this calling is not just one of pure actions, but pure hearts, pure thoughts, and pure motives. Paul's standard for Christian living extends beyond just abstaining from improper sexual practice but also from improper sexual thoughts and motives. God does not only want our actions pure, but the very thoughts and intentions that drive those actions to be pure, first and foremost. This is clearly reflected from the teaching of Jesus himself in Matthew 5:27 and following. You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. Well, here Jesus says, you know, just the sin of of adultery itself Right, which is what the law uh, that he refers to, one of the Ten Commandments, specifically says, don't commit the physical act. That's sin. Amen? Well, Jesus points out that it's the thoughts and the intents of the heart, if you will, that are the corrupt motivation that drives the action. Are you with me? And so, in the whole Sermon on the Mount, this is Jesus' main point. The the, the law is not just some rigid outward conformity of rules. What's important is the thoughts and intents of your heart genuinely before God. Amen? Are you with me? And so he raises the standard of Christian living to beyond just a list of rules or religious uh, ordinances that we're to keep to the fact that our hearts are to be genuinely pure before the Lord. Amen? Amen? And so it is with Christians. We are to have pure motives and pure thoughts. People not only sin with their hands, but with their mouths, and also with their eyes and with their hearts and minds. The Lord here clearly shows that even though the law declared that adultery was sinful, but that even the intent of adultery was as as serious as the act. Here the Lord calls Christians to pure motives and thoughts, as we are to be pure in reality in our hearts, not only in our actions. It is out of the overflow of the heart that we commit sin, because in our heart we crave it. Therefore, we are to have pure hearts so that we will be, in reality, pure people. This is what Jesus is saying. Your heart is to be pure. And if your heart is pure, then you're not going to want to carry out the act. Amen? And not only that, but you're not just one that abstains from the sinful act, but you're one that in your heart truly hates it. You're one that in your heart truly doesn't want to sin against God. Why? Because your love and your affection for God uh, um, overrules your love and your affection for the flesh. Amen? And so in Matthew 5:18 and following, he says, But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanderers. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. And of course, you know, Jesus was saying, it's not the things that you take in that defile the man. It's the things that come up out of his heart. Not only words, right, but also actions. How much more important is this in today's affluent and media-driven American culture? We are constantly bombarded with every kind of luring advertisement for all kinds of worldly goods and worldly vice. Pounded with images daily, our consciences are continually put on trial as we must stand firm in the strong wind of worldly pleasures and vices which assault our sensitivities and desires, constantly pushing us and luring us to find our satisfaction in worldly goods and pleasures rather than in Christ alone. This is seen most clearly in the decline of morality in the broadcast airwaves of radio, television, internet, and movies. As the sense of public morality declines further and further, we are bombar- bombarded with more and more wickedness and are desensitized by the continual bombardment of immoral images and sound bites. And our innate desire for pleasure and materialism is tried to the maximum by the lure of affluence and worldly pleasures which are seemingly within our reach. Worse yet, we can live in the fantasy of these things by way of experience on the screen, and our hearts and minds are drugged through the dirt of worldly vice all while we sit in the comfort of our own home. Pornography is within the reach of every man and woman, so that sexual desire can be inflamed without actually engaging in the physical sin, but the wretched sin of intent kills the inner man like cancer. Movies and television portray sin in a glorified manner that causes even the most discerning of Christians to be led astray for the moment into thoughts of wickedness, and our consciences become desensitized and numbed to the serious offense that sin should be to us. All manner of sin is portrayed in a luring and enticing way as to entertain us with all the special effects and sound quality and drama of storyline that has been pushed to the seeming limits of emotional experience. Therefore, as the decline of morality in our culture descends further and further, We must abstain ourselves from the indulgence into the world's lusts and desires in an effort to keep our hearts pure and our consciences sensitive to God's purity, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Let us, therefore, be careful how we live, using wisdom in the things we engage in, and let us, with the psalmist, long for God's holiness in all our ways." <clears throat> I wonder if any of that is in any way convicting to you. If it's not, it should be. You can't live in this culture and not live under the constant engagement of filth that is in the world around us. The psalmist writes in Psalm 101, 2-4, he says, I will give heed to the blameless way, When wilt thou come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. And there the psalmist cries out. He cries out from the Holy Spirit that is in him instructing him to deny ungodliness and causing him to hate what is sinful and impure before God. Amen? I want to recommend to you some reading. I brought two books. I brought them last week. I didn't get there. But we're there now. So the first one is this book called Worldliness. It's edited by C.J. Mahaney. Worldliness. C.J. Mahaney. Mahaney, Mahaney, C.J. Mahaney, Worldliness. The second one is by John MacArthur. It's called Right Thinking in a World Gone Wrong. Both of these books go uh, to all different kinds of modern issues that we face and and deal with them in these brief little portraits, uh, applying scripture to kind of how we ought to live as Christians in our modern culture. Okay, I'm going to give you a little taste of these uh, right now. I'm going to read some passages for you. This one comes out of the second chapter of this book, Worldliness. And um, this one is called this chapter is called God, My Heart and Media. And it's written by Craig Cabanis. And I think he's a guy that uh, is a pastor on staff at CJ's uh, church there in Maryland. I'm going to read from his section starting where he says, Watching Unwatchingly. Many of us don't think about actively filtering our viewing. As long as we avoid the obvious traps such as pornography, we don't consider deliberate evaluation necessary. Though we may faithfully apply the scriptures in other areas of life, we may not consciously think about how God's word applies to our entertainment choices. All too often we think about neither what we watch nor how much. Our watching is just inevitable. We watch by habit. We watch because we're bored. We unwatchingly watch as the TV stays on for background noise. We watch alone or with others. We gather with friends on Friday night and rent a DVD because there's nothing else to do. We watch because others watch. Everyone at school or at work is talking about a popular movie. It's a must-see, so we must see it. Without researching its content, without thinking about its effect on our hearts, without comparing an evening at the movies with other options, we go and we watch. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying it's wrong to watch television, rent a DVD, surf the internet, or spend an evening at the cinema. The hazard is thoughtless watching. Glorifying God is an intentional pursuit. We don't accidentally drift into holiness Rather, we mature gradually and purposefully, one choice at a time. In the Christian walk, we can't just step onto the right path and figure all is well. Christian discipleship is a lifelong journey consisting of a series of countless steps. Each step matters, and thus our viewing habits matter. A lifestyle of careless viewing should concern us. At best, careless viewing reveals an ignorance of the media's power of temptation. It probably indicates a degree of laziness as well. And we can't afford to be lazy in what our minds absorb. Biblical discernment involves critical thinking, which often leads to costly action. It's true that we grow in sanctification by God's grace, but this doesn't deny that our growth involves work. To mature, we need engaged minds asking biblically informed questions about the media's messages and methods. What's more... We need perseverance to travel against the cultural current. To change the metaphor, detecting and avoiding temptation is a battle. Every time we pick up the remote or glance at the movie listings or go online, we take up arms. Ken Myers describes this battle in strong terms. I believe that the challenge of living with popular culture may well be as serious for modern Christians as persecution and plagues were for the saints of earlier centuries. Enemies that come loudly and visibly are usually much easier to fight than those that are undetectable. It may seem that Myers exaggerates the danger. Pop culture as deadly as persecution and plagues? But I think he's right. When it comes to waging the war of sanctification, severe trial usually alerts us to battle, rousing us to our need for God. Popular culture, especially entertainment media, often lulls us to ignore our battle with the flesh. In this conflict, how many Christians are waving the white flag of surrender by disengaging their discernment when it comes to media? But passivity is no option. We're called to live purposefully. That means we must watch on purpose and resist the lifestyle of passive viewing. Then he goes on under a new heading, Watching with Immunity. Unlike those who watch thoughtlessly, many Christians recognize the tempting influence of media, yet assume they're immune from danger. They end up watching just like everyone else. After all, they'll argue, I'm not going to watch a murder on TV and then go out and murder someone. This misses the point. Our sanctification aspirations should be loftier than avoiding murder. Just because we don't instantly mimic all we see doesn't mean our hearts aren't negatively affected by the programs or films we watch. Tugging like a subtle undertow below the surface, the media can tempt us to drift toward love of the world. Drift toward worldliness may be slow, its symptoms not immediately apparent. This drift is usually a sign of a dulling conscience. The conscience doesn't function like a light switch. One moment the lights are on, then everything is dark with a flip of the switch. Instead, the sensitivity of our conscience dulls over time as it is resisted or ignored. Paul charges young Timothy to wage the good warfare by holding on to a good conscience and warns him that rejecting a good conscience can lead to the shipwrecking of one's faith. Over time, a good conscience that once was sensible. To the holiness of God and the conviction of the Spirit can become seared, losing all feeling. The drift toward worldliness is subtle, gradual, and internal. And if we assume we're immune to it, that's a sure sign that the drift has begun. I thought that was insightful. One other section here comes from John MacArthur's book. <clears throat> His chapter is called Glorifying God in the Gray Areas. And then he is uh, on the heading, Entertainment in Light of Our Submission to Christ. And he's talking about the Lordship of Christ. And then he has a subheading here, The Lordship of Christ Denounces Impurity and Worldliness. He writes, Ephesians 5, 3-4 has excellent words in this regard. Immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is, as is proper among saints, and there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. Those two verses alone rule out much of what passes as entertainment in our world today. Sexual immorality and impurity dirty jokes, and silly talk, and anything that promotes greed or undermines the giving of thanks. That list is a pretty good summary of what is wrong with much of the contemporary American media. Movies, for example, are usually rated according to language, violence, sexual contact, and thematic elements. Many of them are not just non-Christian, they are anti-Christian. I don't mean they openly attack the Christian faith, but at least in some cases they might as well. They employ filthy language and lewd humor, Colossians 3:8, Titus 2, 6 through 8. They glorify violence rather than peace, Titus 1, 7, and 1 John 4, 7 through 8. They glamorize lust and immorality rather than holiness, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, and 1 Peter 1:16). They instill feelings of discontentment and desire rather than thankfulness, Ephesians 5:20 and 1 Timothy 6, 6. And... They promote worldviews that are antithetical to biblical Christianity. 2 Corinthians 10.5 Does that mean a Christian should never watch movies? Not necessarily. But we must be discriminating about the things we allow into our minds. We are called to renew our minds. Romans 12.2, Ephesians 4.23, Colossians 3.16 When we continually fill our minds with the filth of this world we do ourselves a great spiritual disservice. Amen. I want to say amen to that. Amen. And, uh, the, you know, the more I think about this issue, the more I am concerned about it. And I, I think it affects us in far greater ways than we think it does. And I'm going to be writing about it more in the future and talking about it. Uh, I think it's a, it's an, it's a, it's a gray area that the gray area has become darker and darker over time. So now it's not so gray, it's more black than it is gray. Are you with me? So what I'm suggesting is that we as Christians need to, we need to create some standards for discernment in this area of media, and we need to learn how to clearly articulate them. This is some of the only places in all the reading I do where I've read this kind of thing. And yet it's such a thing that is so pervasive in American culture and and with American Christians. I mean, you know, most people are watching TV like 20 hours a week. You understand? And and what they're watching is just whatever's portrayed by the American media. And this is a deadly, deadly thing. And it's, like I say, I think it's far more important than we give it credit for. Yes, sir. It's
1: Not
0: just what we watch. ABC, NBC, uh, CBS—the whole nine yards—but it's also Christian television. Mm-hmm. It's as close to pornography, if not worse, mm-hmm. than what we see on those other stations. Yeah, well, certainly, certainly, there are <laughs> there are degrees of this that happen. Here, here's the thing: this issue isn't black and white. It's gray. Mm-hmm. It's real gray. Okay. <laughs> So that you, you, may, you might make a statement which is perfectly applicable in one context, but in another context, it's actually really not that applicable. And, and so, of course, this is what the devil likes. He wants us to be confused. He doesn't want us to have clear discernment. He doesn't want us to have clear standards of, of rightly dividing right from wrong. Okay? He doesn't want us to be able to discern between the holy and the common. He doesn't want us to discern between what is sacred and what is wicked. What is, what is holy and pure and righteous and what is wicked and unlawful. Are you with me? Mm-hmm. But, but we as Christians have to live purposefully that way. How much more in the culture that we live in? Are you with me? Mm-hmm. I want to give you an example of how this has affected us, and I think that not all of us have understood how severe it is. Okay? I want to give you an example. When we think about pornography... Does it not naturally come to mind the idea of nude photos of 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 people yes that 's what we think of as pornography. Do we ever think of it as obscene writings, drawings, or photographs, or the like? Maybe some of us do maybe some of us have been educated in, and discerning or discerning that way. Uh, I have to confess that most of my life, as I've heard that word, you know, the thought is uh, the ideas of nude photos or movies or or something that's got obscene content. Typically, the the content is nude, right? So that we would say that anything less than nude uh, isn't really pornography. Pornography is, you know, what's censored and what's not put on, you know, the public American television or that something that's not in the movies. It's not rated X or these days rated R, Right. And so, uh, uh, because there's no nudity in it, well, it's not pornography. Guess what? Wrong. That's not what the definition says. All right? I'm talking about the English word, okay? <laughs> so, I, wanna, I want to help you think about this. And I'm going to present something that, that might uh, challenge you, might make you mad. It might uh, evoke some uh, response. Uh, good, I hope it does that. I hope it steps all over your toes, or I hope you can say a hearty amen. So I want you to think about the difference between um, viewing pornography or watching a television show, and I'm going to pick on a specific television show. It's called Desperate Housewives. Because (laughs) whenever I I first heard of that, I was stunned at the the new form of filth (laughs) that we were going to train up our American children with and, um, um, nevertheless, the imagery in that show to me is so explicit that it kind of makes my point really clear. So, um, the idea is, is that, uh, I'm just going to read for you here something I wrote this morning as I was pondering this mm-hmm. pornography on American television, a clear example My intent is to show how the American television media has subtly and gradually brought pornography into our living rooms without announcing it to us that it was doing so. Note in my below comparison, there are much better and worse by degree examples of pornographic viewing, which could be cited, but the example is to show how we have categorized one or more severe than the other, when in fact they are both sinful and obscene. So I'm going to create a contrast for you here, and I want you to think about this. Also, my intent is not to say that men view pornography and women don't, or vice versa, or to characterize men or women in this area, area one way or the other, okay? I'm not characterizing men or women. I'm simply using an example to draw a contrast for how we think about the issue of impurity and obscenity in our culture, okay? especially when it comes to American television. Consider the difference between an American man viewing and being entertained by a pornographic magazine with nude photos of a woman and an American woman viewing and being entertained by an episode of Desperate Housewives. When the man views the pornographic magazine and is sexually aroused by the image of a woman who is not his wife, he clearly lusts after her and has, according to Jesus' words, committed adultery with her in his heart, Matthew 5:27. This is crystal clear. The sin here is sensuality, lust, and covetousness, to list a few. There's probably other biblical words that describe that. We would all agree that this is obscene, sinful, and totally out of place for a Christian in light of Scripture. Would everybody agree with me that that is obscene and sinful and totally out of place for a Christian in light of Scripture? Amen. Okay. No no disagreement there, at least no seeming disagreement. One example of how Scripture talks about this, Ephesians 5, 3-8. But do not let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you as is, in, as is proper for saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure or covetous man who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Paul goes on in that passage to say that it is shameful to even speak about the things that the disobedient do in secret. Much less... Portray them on a screen or in photographs or in writing. Are you with me? When the woman views an episode of Desperate Housewives, although there are no nude photos that are shown, there are indeed sexually explicit ideas and concepts which are further dramatized by the storyline and a host of sinful activity which is glamorized and glorified, which are most definitely designed to arouse sexual impulses and thoughts. A list of this sinful activity can be found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. A few I have picked from there, which are most explicitly portrayed in Desperate Housewives, are immorality, specifically adultery, Mm -hmm. impurity, sensuality, enmities, strife, jealousy, disputes, drunkenness, and carousing. These are all part of the regular storyline of this show, and are all glamorized as the main features to entertain and arouse the viewer. Are you with me? I don't know. I haven't watched this show, although I have seen little segments of it. And uh, the thing that shocks me is how that the, they dramatize the whole thing. You know, I don't know if you've seen it, but if you have, uh, I, I pray that you haven't. <laughs> but if you have, you know, the idea is you know uh Shirley's jealous because uh Mary is sleeping with Fred her husband you know she marries the neighbor across the street you know and um and so so Mary is uh I'm sorry Shirley is jealous And, uh, you know, so her and Mary, you you know, have a confrontation out in the middle of the street, you know, and they are having strife and enmity and discord and, you know, and they're calling cuss words at each other. And, you know, all of this over the adultery that's going on in the storyline and the music is played, you know, to like, while you know, like the like the one sneaky gal is sneaking around and the music is, you you know, and the whole thing is just dramatized like this glorification of the most wicked kinds of sin that. You know, it's just, it's so sick and vile. It's its just a bunch of sewage is what it is. Okay? Now, I'm picking on that show because I think it's so crystal clear in that show. But I would like to suggest that many, many, many of the shows that come on, especially on the three networks, right, on a regular basis, all have elements of this kind of thing. Many of them. I didn't, I didn't say all of them. Right? but but many of them or most of them. And so the idea is, I want to ask you a question. Is that pornography? Obscene writings, drawings, or photographs, or the like. Let me fill that in for you. This is a conglomeration of all of those. Not only that, now we got surround sound right now now we've got now we've got the the benefit of of decades and decades of uh, technological advances we've got advances in in screenplay and writing we've got advances in i mean i mean the thing is just glorified sin ad infinitum are you with me and i'm telling you this is a very powerfully enticing thing for the conscience of a christian and i'm telling you that In my view, when somebody views things like this in order to be entertained by it, okay, they are indulging themselves in pornography, whether the gal on there is nude or not. And by the way, I'm sure this show has plenty of nudity in it. Maybe not nudity that the American culture would say, but we certainly would say that's far too nude for us. Are you with me? And so I'm trying to point out this 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 obvious to me, right? This thing that goes on in this show, in my mind, is just as severe, if not more severe, than the man sitting and viewing nude photos, <laughs> or any kind of pornographic material, right? Um, my question is, what is the difference between the man viewing the nude photos and the woman being entertained by the glamorization of immorality, specifically adultery, impurity, sensuality, enmity, strife, jealousy, disputes, drunkenness, and carousing? Why would we all very much agree that the man's viewing is sinful and obscene, yet question the woman's viewing as not obscene and sinful, which in fact it clearly falls under the definition of pornography? In light of what I would said here, Uh, I'm sorry, in light of what I have said here, would we not all agree that the woman's viewing is obscene and sinful and totally out of place for a Christian in light of Scripture? So the reason why I say all this is because I'm trying to get you as a Christian to think about the things that you view. Okay? Now, you may not watch Desperate Housewives. I hope you don't. Okay? Okay? If you do, man, let me tell you the, the, what was it he said? The drift has begun. <laughs> uh, but, but nevertheless, the things you're viewing, here, here's where I think the rubber meets the road, okay? Are you viewing something that is in some level obscene for the purpose of being entertained by it? If you're doing that, I think you're sinning against God. You're, invol- you're willfully involving yourself in impurity and sensuality, and you're willfully exposing yourself to temptation. Okay? So whatever the show may be, it doesn't have to be Desperate Housewives. I'm sure if we looked long and hard enough, we'd find an episode of Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> that... that <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my point. My, my Of course, I use these you know, my, my point, yeah, right, my point is just that this kind of thing shows up all over the place, and it shows up by degree, okay, I understand, Little House on the Prairie is, you know, very benign in, in regard to something like this, and it's something we probably all approve of, but nevertheless, nevertheless, my point is, these kinds of things show up, think about, think about what's going on. And think about what's being portrayed on the screen, right? And if at any point in that entertainment of that, of that uh, show or that drama or storyline of that show, they begin to glamorize or approve of some kind of sinful activity, I'm telling you that should not entertain you. That should, you should be repulsed by that, right? And then what I'm saying also is, okay, let me also just kind of qualify with this. To the pure, all things are pure, So what I'm thinking is if you happen to be watching something and something like that comes on and you see it and your conscience is assaulted, then you ought to affirm and agree what your conscience has said by the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? So even though what I'm saying is because you saw it, that didn't make you a sinner. What made you a sinner was either reproving it or enjoying it. Are you with me? Yes, ma'am.
1: Just real quick, something that has really helped us in the movie area is a site called Plugged In, and they very tactfully tell you exactly what's in the movie. Okay. So you can eliminate them instead of just going and saying, well, that one's rated PG.
0: Okay. She's recommending a site called Plugged In. I haven't seen it, but she's saying that there you can go and it'll tell you what's in different movies. That way, if you want to know before you go see it, there's a place where you can find out. It's focused on the family. Yes. It's, okay. It's focus on the family site. Okay, well, so uh, <clears throat> what's my point? My point is, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. And we need to be discerning in this culture that we live in. Are you with me? Does everybody agree and understand the issue? Yes. So maybe you don't maybe agree with one or two statements that are made, or made, or you think I'm, you know blowing the issue out of proportion. Right. Let me tell you something. Evil is very subtle. It is very, very subtle. Yes, it is. It is crouching at the door, and its desire is to have you. Mark. Yeah,
1: just even if you happen to find something you can watch, you still got to guard against all the commercials. Right.
0: Yeah. That's my. You know, I'm a football fan. That's my thing, man. It's like, you know. I'd probably wear out the transformer on my TV if I turned it off every time a commercial came on. You know what I'm saying? It's it's just uh it's it's a it's a it's a wicked world. And we need to be discerning, okay? And we need to be thinking with the mind of Christ. That's my point. Okay, one more comment and then we're done. Um
1: just an FYI to you parents, Pastor Harry did write thinking in a world gone wrong when he when um, Pastor Brandon was on sabbatical this summer. And um, he gave the kids these cards to help them make decisions, when especially when they're in a peer situation to, you know, the whole group wants to go see this movie, you know, what do you do? And did a lot of play acting and kind of exercises with the kids concerning this. And one of the things that kept coming up is, you know, well then, you know, if you go through this whole exercise, it pretty much eliminates almost everything, you know, mm-hmm. and the kids are like, well, well, what could we see? And it's kind of the point. There's very little mm-hmm, there when you go through the steps and really look at each point that Pastor Harry put out about what you should be asking yourself and how this violates scripture or how it might violate your conscience or how it might you know went through all these processes. Um, the kids were on their own were coming to that conclusion. Like you know, I mean, he even did some popular movies and said, you know, this is the movie. This is j- the gist of what it's about. What do you do? So um, it is it is hard. You, you will have to make those decisions not to do
0: something just for the sake of entertainment absolutely as I was reading in the book it will cost us to make costly choices mm-hmm. and and so uh, the the issue uh, is broad there's a lot that could be said about this issue well if I let you shall I let others? <laughs> I'm I'm serious. It's just I'm sorry. I've I've done Sunday school for so long, and I used to have it open for discussion. And man, I'm telling you, we would be. At some point, I just have to I have to I have to end it. I'm sorry. Go ahead, brother. I I, I think what you have to say is is very valuable.
1: Um, I think in our culture we have PG-13 movies. Says, okay, after you're 13, you're able to take the vulgarity, <laughs> and, yeah, and then oh, when you're when you're 18, you can see a NC 17 during X. And um, there is nothing in Scripture that says once you get to a certain age, then you can somehow engage mm-hmm. and yeah, stop. Yeah. And I was just thinking about uh, right. the comment about our our kids being concerned. Well, we absolutely need to be concerned. It's not for kid, it's
0: not for right, and of course, the ratings in the world, right? That's how the world views things. What is? What are we going to do with that? Are we going to walk in the counsel of the wicked? Definitely not, right? We have a different rating system, right? It's called Holy Writ. It's the very words of the living God. Amen. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay. That brings us to middle of page 43, verse 8. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Here Paul makes it clear again that the prohibition of sexual immorality comes from God. It is God's will that you abstain. Therefore, if you reject that command, you are rejecting God. Here see that disobedience to God's commands is a sin against him. And not just some law, as Paul states, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God. Not only this, but you sin against the God who is abiding in you by his spirit, whose presence continues in your soul. This is a grievous matter indeed. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul teaches us that we are one with the Lord and sexual immorality is like joining God to those with whom we engage in sexual sin with. We are to consider our bodies as the sacred temple where God's spirit dwells and it is therefore to be a place of purity and sanctification. As he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 and following, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says, the two will become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So, uh, if you will, will here, um, the idea that Paul is saying is that when you reject the command to abstain from sexual immorality and impurity, you reject God. And that is a serious, serious thought for us Christians. Now, in the Thessalonian world, this was a serious thing because their struggle with sexual immorality was un- undoubtedly greater than ours. It was part of their public culture. Okay? As a matter of fact, in Corinthians, Paul is actually writing to Christians who are, if you will, visiting the brothel on the way home from church to get, make the imagery rather vivid. And uh, he is saying to them there, you cannot join your body with a harlot. Because when you do that, you join the Lord to a harlot. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there's extensive teaching in the book of 1 Corinthians on sexual immorality as well. And, of course, you understand, Corinth is just right down the block, from Thessalonica, right? This is the kind of thing that permeated the Greco-Roman world. And so um, the, the, the command to abstain from sexual immorality, was a very serious and difficult thing for them indeed you have to understand that it affected them in ways beyond what we can understand because we don't live in that culture where this thing is a publicly accepted not only that part of their sacred worship in their culture is to indulge and engage in these kinds of things okay and so they would have found themselves in very deep water indeed trying to obey God's commandments. Not only that, they would have found themselves in persecution because of it. They would have found themselves in, in broken relationships because of it. They would have found themselves in being ostracized, right, uh, almost completely maybe at times from their family and from the practice. Uh, imagine, you know, that their, their, their fathers and their brothers are engaged in sexual immorality all the time. They get saved, and they, the next thing they say, look, I can't do that anymore. That's a sin against God. Not only that, but let me tell you something. God throws people into hell for that. And uh, uh, the kind of turmoil that would have created within the family, that kind of thing. Uh, and probably many other ways that I can't even, haven't even thought of, or would be able to articulate to you the, the struggle that was for them to, to employ this command in that culture. Uh, nevertheless, he says, if you, if you reject this, you're rejecting God gives you his Holy Spirit. Uh, Okay, so we'll end there, verses 9 through 12. When we get to the section starting in verse 13, this is where we're going to start dealing with issues of eschatology. And uh, so if you came originally anticipating that, (laughs) instead got an earful on all the rest, that's going to probably start next week. So, um, I want to encourage you to start reading this section in chapter 4 and chapter 5, starting verses 13 and following in chapter 4. You might want to read it over and over and over because we're going to talk a lot about it. And uh, this, I'm sorry? It would be very helpful for you to read the, uh, what do we call it, parallel reading that I sent out. If you don't have it. I think there's some copies on the back table. If there's not, you can email me and I'll send you the list. Okay? Parallel reading for the issues of eschatology. We're going to be diving into that as soon as next week, Lord willing. Okay? Let's pray. God, our Father, we, we honor you and we bless you. And Lord, we, we want to honor you with our lives. And we want to honor you with everything that we say and everything that we do, Lord. No matter what we do, whether we eat or we drink, we want to do it all to your glory. And so I pray for each one of us that you would speak to us uh, about these issues. And I pray that you would open our eyes to see if if in any way, Lord, we might be uh, indulging in impurity or obscenity in filthiness, or or God, things that are not proper or just uh, impure, I I pray that you would open our eyes to see clearly. And Lord, more than that, I pray that you would help us in our struggle against these things by giving us um, discernment and strength by your spirit to resist and to make the kind of choices that we need to make. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a longing and a desire to be your holy and pure people. And that God, we would be able to clearly discern what that means in the culture that we live in. We thank you for the privilege of of such clear instruction from the scripture. scripture, And we pray that you would bring to light uh, the understanding of what you intend on how we ought to apply it to our daily life. We honor you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.